0: Do you consider yourself to be a creative person? It's hard to say what creativity even is. Sure, maybe you don't spend your nights toiling away with some paint and a brush working on the next great masterpiece,
1: but that doesn't mean you're not creative. Our guest today wrote the book on creativity, literally. Austin Kleon is the author of Steal Like an Artist. We'll discuss the impact his book has had since it was released 10 years ago and why he believes creativity is an important skill that anyone can develop.
2: This is The Fit Mess, conversations with world-class experts in the fields of mental, physical, and emotional health. In this episode... You have to be okay with uncertainty and the unknown to get anywhere new. And that's when you tend to think, well, I really don't know what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing, because if you did know what you were doing, you wouldn't be getting somewhere undiscovered. Now here are your hosts, Zach and Jeremy.
0: Welcome to The Fit Mess. Thank you for listening while you're doing whatever it is you're doing right now. I'm Jeremy and he's Zach, and we've been through all kinds of struggles, ending up stronger because of them. And we'd like to help you do the same.
1: So if you're sick of your own shit and you're ready to make a change, you are in the right place. Like
0: we often say here, if you want to change, you need to change your thinking. And if you want to change your thinking, you need to change your actions. But all that change requires some creativity, something you may not think you have much of,
1: right, Zach. Exactly. I remember growing up and like in my early twenties, like I didn't paint. I didn't do anything artistic. I didn't well, I mean, like I play drums and things like that, but like nothing
0: not well though. Not let's be honest, e- not well. Exactly.
1: Not nothing <laughs> nothing that I would consider artistic. Because I never did anything like artistic, I never considered myself to be creative at all. And it wasn't until I started working and we'd be presented with a problem. And I would come up with a solution for it. And to me, I was just like, well, I fixed the issue. No problem. And then somebody called me creative one day and that I like come up with creative solutions. And it kind of blew my mind where I was like, holy shit, I'm creative, but in a very, very different way. I'm not artistic. If you ask me to sing, everyone, like the (laughs) orders for earplugs will go through the roof. But, you know, like creativity, like I, I have that ability to think outside the box in certain arenas of my life it's kind of weird
0: well that's where i mean a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this show i mean we're not usually on here promoting hey pick up a guitar and and be the next rock star or whatever it's it's more personal development stuff but it does require a level of creativity to figure out when in my schedule do i have time for the gym when do i have time to come up with a meal plan when do i have time to meditate like you've got to you've got to manage a lot of stuff and you have to get creative to fit that stuff in For me, I had an opposite experience as you, where I feel like as a a young person, I was more creative. I I was in and out of bands, I was really into drawing and different stuff. And then I got into a job that just was absolutely soul-sucking. And it also sucked the creativity out of me. I remember being at my desk trying to work on creative projects and feeling like, oh my God, that part of my brain is broken. I can't even access it anymore. Like that the tank is empty, there are no batteries. I cannot access creativity anymore because I've been so forced into this box of this is how we do things and there is no variation. So it can work both ways, but creativity is definitely something that that is developed and, and you have to work on it to, to be good at it.
1: You're absolutely right though. For my level of creativity, like when I'm at work or if I'm solving like a home problem, like, you know, I have to fix something. Like it just comes naturally to me because I've been doing it for 20 years of like, here's a problem. How do we solve this? And my mind just goes to every single possible solution. And it's, it's a very creative process. And actually I really enjoy it now, but even at work, somebody will bring a problem to me now and be like, well, how would, you know, like through coaching, right? I'm not telling them how to fix it. That's not my creativity. Now I just ask them questions and it's up to them to come up with the solution. And it really does amaze me sometimes like how uncreative people can be in problem solving. And then that just takes me to the next level of, okay, now I need to help them understand that they can be creative. Mm-hmm. They can think outside of the box. It doesn't, th- their OCD doesn't have to define what the solution is to this particular problem. And it's kind of cool watching people like develop that muscle mm-hmm. because it's just like the creativity is there. It's, you just have to learn how to let go a little bit and let your mind go and get curious, like we talk about all the time. All right. Let's jump into this interview. Our guest today is Austin Kleon. For the last 10 years, people have been taking the creative advice outlined in his famous book, Steal Like an Artist. Now there's a new edition available celebrating its decade on bookstore shelves. Our conversation begins with what's new in this edition of the book.
2: It's fancier, just like I am. I'm fancier than I used to be. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's the it's, uh, it's first time in hardcover. It has really cool new end papers that are from my sketchbooks. End papers are the inside paper on the on the covers of a book. It's got a new fancy bookmarklet. And then the content that's different, you know, it's such a beloved book at this point. I don't really feel like it belongs to me as much as it belongs to other people and, and readers. So the solution I came up with to, to update it really is to add an afterward in the back, a kind of 10 years looking back. And I think a big part of the success of the book is it's got this kind of fast, punky energy. It kind of, it, I always felt like I wanted it to be like a Ramones album or, or, or some classic punk rock record. And in some ways, even if you flip the book around, it's got like a track list. It almost looks like a CD or something. So, yeah. or vinyl. I didn't want to put an introduction in there because I didn't want to like break the energy of the book. So we did, we stuck an afterword in the back. And that's me looking at the past 10 years and trying to think about, how the world has changed and how the world hasn't changed and, and how the message of the book still resonates.
1: Nice. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you about creativity. Cause I've got a storied history with creativity. I okay. never considered myself creative uh-huh. ever because I didn't write music. I didn't draw pictures. Like I didn't do things that were art. And I never considered myself creative. And then it dawned on me at work one day that like, I come up with creative solutions you know yeah. for work like so i'd love to hear you talk about what creative is what it isn't because i know i struggled for a long time not mm-hmm. knowing that i was actually creative
2: yeah i mean i have a pretty broad definition of it and i think a lot of it comes from my background i mean i grew up in a very small town outside of a small town in the middle of a cornfield and so a lot of the creativity i witnessed as a young uh person was a very kind of homespun creativity like i watching my mom bake and watching her sew, watching my dad, you know, build a barn, (laughs) you know? Um, so it was that kind of, you know, I was surrounded with a lot of stuff that at the time I might not have considered creative either, but now that I have the hindsight, it's like, I think of creativity as just literally taking what's in front of you and everyone else and turning it into something new, something that's useful or novel or that pushes the world uh, forward in a sense. Um, and and in that sense, it's a very broad definition, so broad in fact that I think pretty much everybody in any kind of job there or any kind of life, there's, there's space for more creativity in it. And I think that's what the, you know, that's what Steel Like an Artist tries to do is it tries to broaden people's idea of what, creative work is and give permission to people who don't feel like they're quote unquote creative to harness their creative energies. Cause I think everybody has it. You know, I think all children have it and I think all adults have the potential to to reconnect with it.
0: What you mentioned here, and obviously in the book, the idea of taking what's in front of you and making something new from it. I think a lot of people that either maybe define themselves as creative or not I think there is a tendency to feel like you're not creative because you're just taking someone else's inspiration, right? Like, oh, I'm not creative. I'm just taking this thing that I read and I'm turning it into something else. Right. But that's how we've evolved as human beings, right? Isn't that (laughs) the very nature of creativity?
2: It's funny because one of the things that happened in parallel with the book is my wife was pregnant with our first kiddo when the book came out. And so the book turning 10 means that I have a kid that's about to turn 10 and it's funny when I look back at the book the other day, I was like, oh, there's a lot about genealogy in here. There's actually a, there's a bit about the genealogy of ideas. And if you think about how we got here as people, it's because people combined their DNA Together And grew this new thing, you know, and, and, and that's, that's true of ideas. And that's true of art, too, is that you take the DNA of the stuff that's come before, and you smash it together, and it mutates, and it turns into something new. And it happens in nature, too. I, I do think of it that way. And I think that this kind of, this is kind of the way people thought about this stuff for years and years and years. I think it was really the romantic era that kind of gave us the image of the genius, you know, the lone individual who who was like the superhuman that was above everyone else who just kind of pulled things out of the air, whether it was from the muse or from God or whatever. But I think the great thing about many of the people we consider geniuses is that when you dig into their biographies, they were surrounded with rich, rich networks of people they were connected to and ideas they were connected to and they were stealing and tilching and borrowing from all sorts of sources, you know. And, and I think that's the great thing about when you're trying to become a creative person or you're trying to do creative work, the more you're a student of the form of what you're doing. And the more you kind of dig into these stories, the more empowering they should be for you, you know, cause you realize that all this work really was made by humans and they were mm-hmm. ordinary, all humans in a sense are ordinary. So, um, yeah, everything builds on what came before, you know, it's an ancient idea. They were saying it in ancient Egypt, 4,000 years ago. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: so on, on top of that building though, if you're the person who is taking it to the next level, There can be some imposter syndrome in there too, of I'm doing something new, something nobody's ever done before. Can you talk a little bit about that and how, I mean, I assume that that can block some people from moving forward with their creativity, right?
2: Yeah. And you actually made the connection that, that I don't think people tend to make with imposter syndrome. You, you already went there because I think a lot of times when people feel like imposters, it's because they're venturing into unknown territory, You have to be okay with uncertainty and the unknown to get anywhere new. And that's when you tend to think, well, I really don't know what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing because if you did know what you were doing, you wouldn't be getting somewhere undiscovered, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I like that you already put that together in saying that, that there's imposter syndrome that comes with coming up with something new, but I, I'm a big I, I think that really it just, it, it takes a lot of self-delusion in creative work, you know, I mean, you really have to kind of trick yourself into thinking that you, you know, have any right to do any of this stuff, you know, and people talk about my books in terms of permission a lot. And that yeah. word has always. It's kind of itchy on me because I'm like, I'm not a teacher handing out bathroom passes. Like I don't permission, like, uh, you know, you don't need permission. But then I was at this art show by this artist named Nina Cachadorian and I was looking at her work and it, was just so funny and freeing. And I thought, God, I just want to go home and make things. And I thought, oh, this is it. This is the permission people talk about. Like Nina's giving me permission to like go home and keep the humor in my work. Don't try to be too serious. That you can make serious art that still has a sense of humor. You know, I felt very like I was permitted by her work. And I think that the permission slips that we get in a sense is the work that we're drawn to. You know, that's what I always liked about punk rock is, is that the best punk rock, when you listen to it, or you see a band on stage, you think, well, I could do that if I had mm-hmm. the guts, you know, mm-hmm. and, the, yeah. and I could pick up a guitar and try this there. Bernard Sumner, the lead singer of new order and the guitar player in joy division, you know, he's said, we went to see the sex pistols in Manchester and they were terrible. And I wanted to get up and be terrible with them, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that's it. We're brought to the, we're brought to our gifts through the gifts of others, you know? Yeah.
0: A bit of a tangent, but uh, I I know you wrote about picking up the guitar 10 years ago. How how have your last 10 years with the guitar been?
2: Um, Well, you know, the guitar is kind of my second love. Um, My first love is the piano. That's, That's the instrument I was sort of trained on. That's what I was drawn to in the beginning. And that's actually the instrument that's the richest for me. I think a lot of it comes from it's so weird when I try to explain this to people, a piano is a more visual uh, instrument than the guitar in Mm -hmm. the sense that when you sit down at the keyboard, all the notes are right in front of you. You just have to press them Mm and at the right velocity in the right order. When you look at a guitar, it's sort of the same, except that like, you know, you can't just put your fingers down. You gotta like, you know, you gotta shape the chords, right? You gotta strum differently. There's a whole, it's a whole different thing. And I actually, uh, this is a tangent, but I actually prefer four string guitars because I always thought it was crazy that there were six strings on a guitar and you only have really four fingers and a thumb right. to, to manipulate. So I actually have a tenor ukulele, which is my favorite guitar. Nice. Um, and I like it because any finger you move, it becomes a new chord. And that's awesome. I think that's part of the creative you know, people ask me all the time, what kind of pen do you use? What kind of notebook do you use? Like, what are your tools? And I do think that's kind of part of the creative life is, is finding the instruments that appeal to you. And that, you know, the, it, it, sometimes people say the instrument chooses the, the player rather than mm-hmm. the other way around, you know? Yeah. So there's a tangent for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's awesome. I can tell you my instrument is a whiteboard.
2: Personally. Oh, excellent. I've got one of those over here too. You know, we could spin, uh, yeah, we could spin the camera around and look at that. Yeah. I'm like everyone else in Austin. I'm sort of a failed musician or a musician on the side, you know, yeah, it's what yeah. I, I would actually like to be. So oh, in my, in
0: my head, my albums have sold like crazy. It's, yes, it's exactly. the learning the chords parts. That's, that's, yes, uh, the challenge.
2: Uh, but,
0: but speaking of the instrument, a piece of the advice that you have is, is to not write what you know, but to write what you like, which seems, con- uh, in contrast with what we always hear is write what you know, because that's the thing that you're going to be able to write the most about. So what do you mean by that?
2: Well, when I was younger, you know, I would read that. I think maybe that's Hemingway or whoever it is. I would read, you know, you need to write what you know. You need to write true to your experience. And I was thinking, well, I don't have any experience. I'm 19 or, you know, I don't know anything, you know. And so I always felt like the better advice was to write the kind of thing that you like to read. And so, you know, you start out like, okay, you love Elmore Leonard, then you write stories that sound like Elmore Leonard at first. Oh, but then you start getting into Joy Williams, you're like, well, what would the combination of Joy Williams and Elmore Leonard be like, and then you try to write those weird stories. And eventually you add enough authors that you love And you kind of find your own voice through this weird mishmash mix up of of voices and something of your own emerges. And, And I always felt like that was a much more productive way of thinking about it, is that if there's, you think about it as the back and forth, you do a lot of reading. And then when there's a gap in the bookshelf that doesn't have the book that you want to read, that's the book that you write.
1: Nice. So the yeah. another one I wanted to ask you about that I just I feel like I just naturally fit into uh-huh. is be boring.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so you know we have our images of, and again, this comes from the Romantics, the idea of the moody genius. Yeah, um, you know, carousing and and drinking and drugging and and being wild. But when you really look at artists who have a real longevity to their work and an actual career. There comes a point where they have to work. They work all the time. They just work. That's the thing that kind of unites them. It's, it's, it's all about the work. And part of the thing about doing creative work is that you have to say no to certain exciting things in the world so that you can say yes to yourself and, and to do your work. Um, Gustave Flaubert said it very well. He said, you have to be orderly, and normal in your everyday life so that you can be violent and original in your work, you know? And I think there's a spectrum for everyone. I think, you know, some people work on, in, on different wavelengths when it comes to that. But for me, it's always been about there's going to be a lot of things that you have to say no to in order to say yes to the work.
0: I want to combine three points that I think uh, creates a question that pretty much any podcaster faces. And it's the idea of enjoying obscurity uh, putting your work (laughs) online and uh, building your online community. I mean that you, in a nutshell, that is a podcaster. I'm obscure. My work's online. I'm trying to build a community, right? Even if you're a writer, somebody who's trying to just trying to break through, what advice would you have to, to you before you wrote this book or to that person who has that podcast? That's like, how how do you build that community? Where do you find them? And and how do you get them interested in, in what you have to say?
2: Well, you know, unfortunately, you know, I've I've been very interested in YouTubing. YouTubing is something I don't really understand. And there was a reader of Show Your Work named Ali Adal, who has a very, very loyal following on YouTube. And he reached out to me and he said, you know, Show Your Work changed my life. The reason I have a million people on YouTube was like, it's because I read this book and I did what you told me to do. And I thought, well, if it worked for you, why hasn't it worked for me? I don't have a million you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, viewers on YouTube. But like one of the things that Ali talks about is that the first 50 videos you make or whatever it is on YouTube, that's you just figuring out how to make a video, you know, right. and then right. the next 150 videos are you slowly amassing an audience you know and he does presentations and i've watched these cuz i'm just so fascinated you know he says most of people's problems is they just don't do it long enough they don't stick around long enough to watch those bits and pieces of effort over time stack up mm-hmm. and so the way i usually tell people when they're thinking about an audience is i'm like well do something And do it consistently, do it at a frequency. So tell yourself, I'm going to make a video every week and it's going to be about this general topic and I'm going to show up every week and I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do it for two years and I'm going to make myself do it and I'm going to see where I am at the end of the two years, right? Mm -hmm. I felt that way about my newsletter. Like my newsletter when Steel Like an Artist came out 10 years ago didn't exist, well, now there's a hundred thousand people who read the newsletter every week, and it it's not like I just got a hundred thousand followers. You know, I when Show Your Work came out in 2014, I think I had like 3,500 people on the newsletter. You know, mm-hmm. so it was like every year I add about 10,000 people, and yeah, and it's incredible. But it's it's just that slow build of sending one out every week coming up with new stuff and, you know, just doing it over and over again and really concentrating on the work, making the work good, seeing what people like adjusting as necessary and mm-hmm. being true to what you want to see in the world, you know, cause I think that's the really important thing. You know, a lot of people, they try to make what they think the world wants. The problem is that you're going to only come up with people who want that thing. And you don't really mm-hmm. want an audience that wants things that you don't want to give them, you know? Yeah. And and that's, I have felt blessed in my career in that I always felt like if I just stuck to what was truly and honestly interesting to me, that the right people would show up. And so far that I've been lucky and they have.
1: I love that. I've, yeah. I've, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I I've seen something similar in that if you go into something like scratching your own itch and you, you, you succeed in it, the people will show up for it. Right. Something similar.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and another thing is there's a great Kim Gordon, the bass player and singer for Sonic youth, you know, she says people will pay to watch other people believe in themselves. That's such a great thing too, is to, to, give yourself that permission to be yourself and to be interested in what you're truly interested in and communicate that interest to others in a way that's natural to you in a way that, you know, only you could do it. That's when I think people show up and sometimes you might not have the right format. Like, I'm not sure that YouTube would be the right format for me, but like newsletters, for example, they're a great format for me. Another thing I think people just don't get, especially younger people is just, how freaking long everything takes. Cause mm-hmm. if you look at my bio, it's like, Oh, well you started blogging in 2005. Well, okay. That's 17 years ago. Okay. But then what they don't know is that in high school, I had a website <laughs> that I was trying, right. you know what I mean? They, that I was learning how to do websites when I was 15. And right. so, you know, th- there's this whole, you know, there's a great apocryphal can't be true story of Picasso, but this lady sees him in a park and you've heard This story it's like the lady sees him in a park Says oh Picasso doodle me something And he whips out a napkin and writes On it and, and then gives it to her And she's wonderful like, I, you know. And he says that's, that's You know that's $50,000 or whatever She says what it just took you five seconds To doodle this and he says madam it's taken Me my whole life you know that That story <laughs> is totally yeah. bogus That never happened to Picasso Right and it does speak to something Which is we don't see every that led up to this point when you're admiring people, because that is how we're brought to things. We want to do certain kinds of work because we see people doing that work. You just don't see everything that's gone into it.
0: I love the way you described watching someone be uh, self-confident. I, I've, I've always sort of wrestled with why I even go to a concert or go to a lecture yeah. or of one of my favorite writers or something. And, I, and I'll think to myself, I'm going to spend money to watch five guys play their guitars. Like, why am I spending so much money? <laughs> but there's something about seeing them. I mean, it, it's almost inhuman to watch someone who just shines, who whatever yep. that thing is yes. in, is in them just explodes out into an arena of 100,000 people or whatever. Like, it yes. is such a unique experience.
2: I can tell you exactly who changed my life that way. There is a woman named Linda Barry and she's a cartoonist and she's written several beautiful books about art and creativity. Not to mention this four decade, five decade long career as a cartoonist. But I watched her read... One night, my friend Dan Sean invited me to Oberlin College to watch her read. He was head of the Creative Writing Program. And I spent one hour watching this woman read her work and talk to people. And I thought, I truly feel that I've run most of my career off the fumes of that, of of being in touch with whatever magic or energy that she exudes. And, and what you just said is, is a lot of how I feel about creative work now is that it's really about the transmission of energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I like books is that you package all this energy. It's like it's almost like a lump of coal or, or compressing a diamond or something. There's a geology to it where there's extreme pressure. You're, you're putting all this energy into this solid object. And it's, it's in there, but it's like dormant, you know, it's in there and it doesn't do anything like this. But once the reader does this and starts turning the pages, then that energy is unlocked. And I think it's true of many art forms, you know, it's like the, the Ramones record on the shelf doesn't do anything, but then I put the needle on it and it explodes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I want to ask you about In the bio that we have for you, it mentions principles that you wished you had had when you were 19 years old. So I really just want to ask you straight up, like, what are the, what's the one or two things that you really wish you could go back and tell your 19 year old self?
2: I've always been inspired by George Saunders, the writer. I I look up to him in a lot of ways and you know, his graduation speech that he gave was uh, most of the failures in his life. He regrets were failures of kindness um, situations in which he could have been kinder, and I think that that's my most haunting memories and regrets of my life are times when I wasn't as kind as, as I could have been. I, I wish, actually, one one thing I thought about changing in the book is number eight is be nice. The world is a small town. I almost changed it to be kind the world is a small town because I think there's a difference between being nice, which is very Midwestern. Mm -hmm. I'm from Ohio (laughs) and there's being kind, which is different, but I, I would say be kind, you know, that I would, I would make a distinction to him between niceness and kindness. And I think that would be the most important, but really uh, you know, the really funny thing about 10 years, (laughs) when you look back, you know, I've been a parent for almost 10 years now too. And and one of the things you know is that you really can't tell anyone anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's very true. That very you true. know you could give them the words, but they'll the words will only ring true through experience. Yeah,
0: and and on that subject, you know, one of the things that that is kind of the benchmark for us here is trying to help people with whatever mindset they're trying to get into to lose weight, write the book, whatever the thing is that they're holding themselves back. So. How would you encourage someone who maybe has that creative project or they've, that guitar has been sitting on the shelf for 10 years or, or whatever the thing is, what do they need to do to get over that hurdle of one day I'm going to, and then just actually start doing it?
2: What I, sometimes I'm like, what is working? What is one thing that you can do every day and it takes nothing out of you? you? know? And how can you change? So for example, like it's very interesting with fitness. I mean, I'm not the most fit guy. But I've noticed neither that, are we. Don't that, worry. Neither you know, are we I've noticed like with push-ups, it's like, well, if you just do one push-up a day and you add one, you know, eventually you can do a hundred push-ups. It's just not, it's not rocket science. You just right. you just you do push-ups every day and you just add each day, and eventually you could do a hundred push-ups. It's not that much different for drawing or playing the piano or whatever it is. Once you get the mechanics of what it's like to practice and like put in the effort every day that transfers to many, many different things. So like, I just took up biking. I just bought a new bike three weeks ago and I, because I've done lots of different things and I know how crummy I was going to be at first. And I just had no ego in it. I whatsoever. And I found a neighbor down the street who has been biking for decades and has decades on me and can still whip my ass every time (laughs) we go out. But like, I found someone who could take me, I found kind of a bike mentor, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and, and I know even after three weeks, the improvement's incredible, but I still know how bad I am. And I, I know this one Hill. I'm like, every time I go up it, I'm like dying up this Hill. Then I'm like, there's one day. I'm going to beat this Hill, but it's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks, you know? And I just, I, that's what I like about staying alive, you know, is that that experience of what it's like to be crummy and to slowly get better at something that transfers to multiple places and so when people are thinking about taking on a creative endeavor think less of it as like magic and think more of it like doing push-ups or something that you there's been a time in your life where you didn't know how to do something and you learned it and you got to somewhere else think of it the same way you know and just and 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 that's all there really is to it i think
0: I, I far prefer the being alive to the alternative. I, I, so far. It beats yeah.
2: beats, yeah, being upright beats <laughs> beats a lot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, man, <laughs> I
0: have a million more questions and, and wish we had ours, but we don't. Uh, where can we learn more about you and, and find the book and all the things?
2: Oh, I'm the same place I've been for 20 years now. I'm at austincleon.com, <laughs> and that's where you can find all the books and the newsletter and everything else in between.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun. We really appreciate your time today.
2: Thanks y'all. Uh, I had a lot of fun and thanks for having me.
0: Our thanks to Austin Cleon, author of Steel Like an Artist. You can find links to him and his work in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. And Zach, I hope you were paying attention because as we just learned, anyone and everyone can be creative. It's a skill like any other that can be developed. Were you paying attention during that part?
1: I'm sorry, what? I've been working <laughs> on I've been working on developing my listening skills. They're, okay, they're not good. great right now. <laughs> No, really, I was listening, but like anything else that's really worth doing, you've got to practice. And it takes time to get the mechanics of the activity and get it down. I know for me, being creative is not something that like felt natural to me. So now when I'm actually being creative or when I know I have to be creative, It still feels a little bit weird, but I get a little bit better every time I practice. And this applies everywhere. Like it's not just art. It applies to fitness, professional growth, parenting, carpentry. You're trying to figure out on YouTube and believe it or not, even if you're going to try underwater basket weaving, it applies there because surprisingly, that's really fucking hard to do.
0: (laughs) More than anything with all these skills, it's probably going to take you longer than you think. And it's definitely going to take you longer than you wish it would to see the results. So it's just that, that age old uh, idea of don't quit on Tuesday because you don't know what's going to happen on Wednesday. Anything that's worth pursuing, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort and you just have to be patient and wait for the results to come when the time is right.
1: I know it's going to happen on Wednesday. It's in my calendar.
0: Oh, that, well that's handy. You got to, you got to keep yes. track of these things. You don't, you don't want to miss
1: I've it. I've got a, I've got a I've got a I've got a twelve fifteen appointment that says be creative, be creative, 12, 15. What, what does that look like? What, what tools do you use to get creative at 12.15 on Wednesday? Usually it involves going to the pantry, opening it up and like eating sesame sticks or something like that.
0: You got to work on that creativity.
1: I know. I love it. <laughs> All right. Don't
0: let the conversation about creativity and and all things self-development end there. Join us in our Facebook group where you and fellow FitMess listeners can connect for monthly challenges, accountability to reach your goals, and find a supportive community. That link is also at our website, thefitmess.com, where we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening. See you,
2: everyone. We know this podcast is amazing. and doesn't seem to lack anything, but we need a legal disclaimer. Prior to implementing anything discussed in this podcast, it is your responsibility to conduct your own research and consult your physician. You should assume that Jeremy and Zach don't know what they're talking about, and they're not liable for any physical or emotional issues that occur directly or indirectly from listening to this podcast.